Chapter 14. Into Nebraska. Beyond Omaha was a great crowd of wagons. They were just sitting there as if catching breath for what was going to happen next, crossing what was called the Great American Desert. The four wagons we had had when we begun had been reduced to three. Word was that you didn't dare go across in a train of fewer than twelve, much too dangerous. You might lose your way, meet hostile Indians, stampeding buffalo, hungry wolves, or catch all manner of sicknesses, suffer wagon breakdowns or dying oxen, or a million other perils you never considered when you began. No wonder immigrants believed in the safety of numbers, with sometimes as many as 50 wagons in a train. When Mr. Bunderley was about to go off with the men to find a bigger train to join, I heard Mrs. Bunderley say, Mr. Bunderley, I beg you, let's go no farther. I'll not survive. Cheerful heart, he returned, you've managed magnificently thus far. Certainly some hazards lurk before us, but with courage and fortitude we shall find prosperity and excellent health hovering beyond the horizon. I am ill, Mr. Bunderley, ill. Words can't cure me. A little later I asked Lizzie, Is your ma doing very poorly? I think so, she answered. Her fevers come in waves, and she's exhausted, and even more frightened. Early, she, I, she said, I pity her, but her whole world is her ailments. It's too small for me. I watched and listened as our people, trying to join a bigger train, went around and talked to other immigrants. There was much debate about which route to take, but also about traveling rules, Sabbath travel, liquor, who would be in charge of what night watch, scouting, hunting, what tasks would women or children do, and the like. Endless rules, debates, and finally agreements. Even when a train was set, there were debates about who was going to be captain and who lieutenant. The men all agreed you had to organize military style, this being the only way to deal with the trail dangers. That said, I did not see one solitary fellow heading west pushing nothing but a wheelbarrow into which his provisions were piled. I always wondered what became of him. I cannot believe he survived, or perhaps he did, and struck it rich at, at that. In the end, we were linked up with 15 wagons, some 20 families with extra hands like I was, immigrants from Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin, and Ohio, all told our train had about 95 souls, mostly men, but women and children too, to be sure Mr. Marr was one of the men. He was not going to lose me. Our chosen captain was a Mr. Ezekiel Boxler out of Wisconsin, Wisconsin State. He got the post because this was his second trip, he having returned to collect his family, and he claimed he knew the way. A Mr. Kohler from Missouri was selected as lieutenant. After two days of organizing everything from nightly guard duty to what kind of card games were allowed, euchre and cribbage, it was agreed we'd start the next morning. Our plan was to take the Platte River route halfway across the Nebraska Territory, then followed the south branch of the Platte, which would lead us right to Cherry Creek. Though somewhat longer than other routes, it was considered safer. At the last moment, Apollo, Lizzie's pig, disappeared. We searched everywhere, but to no avail. Furious, she believed he had been stolen. I suspected she was right. You may not believe me, Mr. Early, she said, but P Apollo was my truest friend. It is hard to think of one's best friend as having been eaten. 
I could take his place, I offered. I'm not particularly eatable. She was not amused. May 23rd. What can one say about a slow journey across a desert? To begin, I can say only that it made home seem a long way back, and the future that much further. Secondly, it was most amazing how vast the land was, not always flat, but often rolling, sometimes even hilly. In the main, though, it was level, with the horizon always unreachable. But while you might think such a barren place would have no people, in truth, not a trail day passed without our seeing some settler's home built of wood scraps, an old wagon or sod established midway between nowhere and nothing. We also passed many a tumble-down structure that sold liquor. In a world no true spirits could inhabit, dreadful, filthy places they were, our train always passed them by. Now and again we saw Indians, the Pawnee people at first, then Sioux, and finally Arapaho, who gazed at us as, even as we gazed at them, strangers to one another. Yet the most amazing thing, considering all the open space, was the sight of so many wagons toiling in the same direction as we. Sometimes it seemed as if the entire eastern half of our nation had tipped itself so high everybody was tumbling down west an endless parade of big white ants. At night, when we were all camped, you could see fires flaring in a continuous line that marked the trail from wherever you were into the distant darkness that always was there. When I had guard duty, rifle, and Mr. Boxler's old bugle at my side, every third night from 8 to 12, the fires were a comfort. Seeing all those wagons and people, I could only hope that the gold we were seeking was truly abundant. Having heard otherwise, I worried much about the, the lot of unhappy immigrants with empty, empty pockets, sore body, bodies, and broken hearts. Had we not already seen some of them, the more I knew of Lizzie, the more certain I was that she would prevail. But the more I understood of Mr. and Mrs. Bunderley, the more certain I became that they'd made a mistake by having come too frail by far. How often did I console myself with Jesse's words? I have found gold enough to pay our debt. How much I tried to put my faith in that. May 24th. At a triple blast of Mr. Box Boxler's bugle, we commenced our trek from Omaha in the morning and went five miles across the high prairie. Along the trail, grass grew abundantly, which meant cattle could graze. Midday, we spied a line of trees far out to the northwest that we hoped marked the Platte River, our main route west. But first, we crossed the Elkhorn River on a government bridge. Then, after three more miles, we saw some Pawnee Indians. Some of them stopped and asked for food. If I understood matters, they were at war with the Sioux. It must be said that though Indians were much feared, and some immigrants recounted tales of stolen horses or tragic raids. The Indians we saw were never committed that we saw never committed a hostile act against us. May twenty seventh. It was a few days before we reached the Platte River, which we intended to follow until we reached Cherry Creek. The Platte was wide and shallow, sometimes beautiful, sometimes drab, its muddy waters warm, with many islands big and small. Nor did we just stay on one side. 
Since the river had many loops and turns, it created marshlands and quicksands. Here, Mr. Boxler's knowledge proved vital, for he led us back and forth over the river so as to avoid such places. Sometimes the trail was fine, though rutted. By the deep ruts, you could see how many countless others had already passed. Other times it was sandy, so wheels sank down. That made it hard for our laboring oxen. All too often there would be but brackish water or sparse, sparse prairie grass for our animals to feed on, plus swarms of mosquitoes who fed on us. <coughs> Once, when we were crossing the river, we hauled up on an island only to have high winds blow in so that our wagons were stuck midstream for two days. May 30th. As we went on, there were dispiriting markers to show the way, by which I mean the many trailside graves. Mr. Boxler said the trail was the longest cemetery in the world. I could see for myself how many had come, how many went on, and how many stayed behind. Also left behind were broken wagons, worn boots, discarded goods that had proved too heavy or useless. Once we came upon an abandoned piano, and bones, bones of abandoned oxen, of cattle, and once human bones all bleached more white than white itself, ghastly ghosts that turned to dust where they lay. Each object, object left a story told in silence. June 2nd. Though as usual, we started at sunup, breakfast, cold bean soup, bread, molasses, and wheat coffee, we took a wrong turn and got lost despite our experienced captain. Had to go back. Then we ran short of water and didn't find any until about nine. Only got back to the Platte River in the afternoon. Everybody, humans and beasts, were exhausted. Indeed, Mrs. Bunderley let it be known that it would not be long before she departed this mortal world. Do you think she might really die? I asked Lizzie. My father is always talking and my ma is always dying, was her response. Then she said, you must think me cruel. They want so little and don't get much. Early, you won't believe our migration from Utica, New York to Ohio, then on to Tennessee, Illinois, and lastly to your town in Iowa. Hardly there a month. Now this, every place we go, we live on the edge of disaster and always seem to leap just before we truly fall. I thought of my family, who had never moved and did not want to, to be sure there was comfort in what I knew. But if I did not know anything beyond home, how could I measure its comfort? As it said, you can't know the pleasure of an old boot till you walk a new road. June 3rd. I saw a gigantic prairie dog town, as crowded as council bluffs. The way those creatures sat up and kept watch on their mounds they darted about was comical. Most nights people gathered around one of the fires and shared stories. Generally, they were about their own lives, travels, and travails. Sometimes there was a funny story, such as from Mr. Shotcraft of Wisconsin, who mistakenly trapped a skunk under his bed. June 4th. This day I saw buffalo, a herd of them, a herd so immense it was impossible to count their numbers, a brown ocean flooding over the prairie, rolling slowly with ponderous magnitude, 
Our captain, Mr. Boxler, took pains to warn us we must do nothing to rile them, lest they stampede and trample our train to dust. June 6th, we saw antelope, and they were beautiful. Lizzie loved to watch them run. I'd like to run like that, she mused. Get some bloomers, I advised. June 7th. The land we passed over, though mostly flat, had many a sandy bluff with mostly good water to be found and enough grass for our cattle to graze at the end of the day. I saw some trees, cottonwood, I supposed, but not too many. Wood being scarce, I was regularly sent out to secure buffalo chips, dried buffalo manure, to burn. Though it didn't provide much heat, it fired enough to cook our food. The collecting of the chips was something the wagon train's children were sent to do. After a day cooped up in the wagons or walking through the dust, they found it a joy to run and screech. But there was always fear that a little one would wander into the tall prairie grass and be lost forever. Lizzie, released by her mother, and I, by Mr. Bunderley, were very happy to walk free and collect chips, too. Happily, buffalo were many and, and chips not difficult to find. One day we came upon a large, sick buffalo. It was quite alone in its suffering. I'd not seen one up close before. It was huge, most likely six feet tall, with shaggy brown fur, a mane, a beard under its chin, and a long tail with a tuft of hair at the end. Its head was truly gigantic, with short, sharp black horns, and it had a hump on its shoulders that suggested great power and strength. One of our trains supposed it might weigh a ton. Mr. Armin shot it dead. The meat was shared, and that, I will admit, was good for a change. June 8th through 11th. Our endless walking continued. At times I wondered if anyone had ever walked so far. Then I recalled that those who were going to Salt Lake, Oregon, and California were going even farther. Once, as I was walking, thinking I know not what, Lizzie came along and walked by my side. She did not speak, nor did I. Then I heard a great sigh and sensed her shoulders shaking. Lizzie, I said, turning toward her. I saw what I had never seen before, tears upon her cheeks. What is it? I cried. Oh, early, will we ever, ever get there? She sobbed. We will, I said, though I too had begun to doubt. But what choice was there? You either put one foot in front of the other, or you would be left behind. So it was that at least we reached Fort Kearney, a place meant to protect those that passed by. But it was there that Mr. Marr tried to murder me.